Hello, and welcome to the Shingo Principles Podcast, the podcast for those interested in building a culture of continuous improvement and sustainable organizational excellence. I'm your host, Mary Price, with the Shingo Institute, a program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. The Shingo Principles Podcast is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with thought leaders and practitioners around the world experienced in transforming cultures using principles, systems, and tools. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. In this episode of the Shingo Principles podcast, we hear from Bill Boyd with Value Capture, a Shingo licensed affiliate, as he shares how seeking by learning unlocks potential. Key topics covered in this podcast include understanding the theoretical limit or what is possible within the limits of science, not culture, and how it is helpful in defining perfection. By seeking to learn something every day about the challenges you face, you are taking action to pursue perfection and how a team's actions with experimentation and learning are great behavioral evidence of whether or not they are seeking perfection. Thank you to the Shingo Institute for this opportunity, and thank you everybody for, for tuning in today. Uh, it's, it's really a gift to get to share my, my thinking, some of my experience, and, and I think about this as how I interpret and, and have tried to apply and, and use the principles within my work, uh, both as a leader and as a coach. Um, as Mary said, I work for Value Capture, and we are a team that really partners with healthcare agencies to use safety um, as, as the point of the spirit to help us coach leaders towards the use of principles and behaviors to develop the ability to get to excellence uh, within safety within, within their organizations. And we do that uh, with the purpose of once we can achieve excellence and safety, then we can translate that to everything the organization does. And with that, I get the opportunity today then to talk about, as, as I think about excellence um, and perfection are, are fairly synonymous to some people, we're going to spend time today really focused on the principle about seek perfection. So in the continuous improvement dimension, we find seek perfection and in the def definition that the Shingo Institute provides is that perfection is an aspiration, not likely to be achieved, but the pursuit of which creates a mindset and culture of continuous improvement. The realization of what is possible is only limited by the paradigms through which we see and understand the word, the world, sorry. And I, I really appreciate the definition. There's a lot of really important words in there. And I pull out things like aspiration and pursuit, uh, mindset, culture. I love kind of the, the paradox between the realization and, and the paradigms through which we see the world. And I'll just share that what I'm going to share today is really focused on overall throughout my career, both as a coach and as formerly as an operational leader. I always try to think of ways to take something that may seem simple on the surface, like seek perfection. It's a noun and a verb. It seems pretty straightforward. It seems like it'd be fairly easy to do, but I'm always trying to find ways to take something that may seem theoretical or conceptual and find ways to translate that to something tangible. And that's what I'm hoping to do today. I'm hoping we can dig into this, this principle and give you some very actual things to walk away with at the end of the webinar today. So if if we start in the, the purpose of trying to understand what does perfection mean, I wanna share just an early lesson from my career. 
if I go all the way back to my very first managerial role, um, I was a brand new frontline leader within a health system responsible for the laboratory systems and part of that system. And I was aware of my organization's overall mission, vision, values. Uh, we had True North defined and I knew kind of where we were going. And if I was to paraphrase it, it was we were trying to find a way to get to perfect patient care at the lowest possible cost, essentially a quality over cost value proposition. The challenge that I had, and I think that that many, many times I've run into is how do I take seeking perfection, translate that to the specific team that I'm working with. So in the laboratory, I think about the challenge of a team member coming in every day, um, going into the laboratory, doing their work and leaving, and they never see anything of the patient other than maybe the specimen that they get from the patient. All of this in the context of healthcare, which some days can feel like I'm in the middle of a three-dimensional chess game if that were to exist. So what we realized pretty early on is we had to change our paradigm. Again, our, our realization was limited by what, what our paradigms were of how we saw our world. So just to walk through what we did first is we just tried to understand what was kind of our current condition. And if I walk through this at a very high level, if we have a patient in a bed, uh, that patient's working with a provider and the provider needs to get a result back so that they can adjust the patient's care plan. So we mapped out all the different steps and we thought, okay, so the provider is gonna put an order in the computer. The, uh, the order will get pulled up by a team member who will go draw the patient's blood. Patient's blood would get sent through a pneumatic tube system, a, a, a kind of a mechanical delivery system to the laboratory. Once it gets to the laboratory, a team member then would process that specimen. They would, after they get it ready, they would give it to a scientist who puts it on any number of different analyzers. The analyzers would put a result into the computer, which then another scientist would review. And then at some point in time, we eventually get a result back into the computer that the physician could see. And, and that was really essentially, that was our, our current paradigm. Now, I'm not gonna tell you this is anything revolutionary. This is essentially a, a, a way to think about almost just value stream mapping of what was our work and understanding our current condition. And I would expect many of you on the call would probably do the same thing. I think what we did next is probably a little bit different and it's a place where we departed from a, a, a more of a traditional approach potentially. So as I think about how we challenged our paradigm, I knew through my training before I became a frontline leader that I was to every day look for differences in performance than what was expected. I was to have standards in place and that based upon the standards, anytime we saw a defect or something that fell out of what was expected, then I should dig in and problem solve. And, and that helped me see kind of how to make incremental improvement, but it still didn't really help me see how do I define you know, perfection? How do I get to a point of having a tangible definition that my team could use? And I had studied many of the, the great thought leaders. I think of Shigeo Shingo and Taichi Ono um, and, and others like, like Mike Rother and Jim Womack and Jeff Liker, Steven Spear. And through that study, I had continually come back to a couple of attributes of essentially what ideal looked like. So I always think of the words uh, on demand, defect free, um, one by one, um, it is to be given to me immediately without any waste and it's done safely. And again, it was helping me get closer to something tangible, but my team members still had a hard time translating it. So what we did is we wanted to dig in and really understand what did it mean to deliver a perfect laboratory service? a piece of that overall perfect patient care. And what we did is we took a look at our work and when we studied our work this time, we started with the need, but then we asked a really specific question. We asked what would be the most ideal way to meet that need free of barriers inherent to the work as it had been designed. 
thinking from the first moment, what's the most perfect way to complete our work step-by-step -step meeting a need? So if we think about this, we still have a patient, we still have a physician. We, hadn't, we haven't changed that work. Uh, we weren't quite that powerful in the laboratory within what we were designing. But if I think about now a physician who needs a test result and they're sitting there with the patient and they're face-to-face, -face, what's the most ideal way to potentially get that result back? Well, what if instead the, the physician actually drew the sample? And what if that sample was put into an analyzer right at the bedside? And then what if that analyzer was able to deliver results in just a minute or two instead of 45 minutes or an hour coming back to the physician? And then they could see it and they could immediately make a change. What it did is it helped us see a different vision of future and it gave us something really tangible to latch onto. Team members could actually see now, okay, when we talk about perfect, and this may not be perfect, but it's much closer to perfect than what we had been working towards. It gave us something tangible that then we could start to ask a different question about. We could start to ask the question, why can't we? So why can't we do this? As we started to ask that question about why can't we, we then un uncovered many obstacles, all of the boulders that were in the way, all the things that stood in the way of us being able to do this became clear and I shouldn't say all, but many of them became clear because we learned many more along the way. And what it allowed us to do is then to start compartmentalizing our work to create challenges by which we would start to work towards and design experiments so that we could continually learn our way towards perfect. As I now reflect back and I think about this in some of my recent work, um, I, I, I describe this in a different way. And I wanna offer to you a, a way to think about this and describe this today as you're helping your teams think about what does perfect mean? From studying the work of uh, one of the pioneers, uh, Mr. Paul O'Neill at Alcoa, as he was working to accomplish zero employee harm at Alcoa, um, he really focused on what I would describe as, as the theoretical limit. And I'll put up a definition here. So the theoretical limit is where aspirational goals should be set at perfect or as close, as, as close to perfect as the rules of physics allow. And uh, again, I, I really like this definition. I, I like it better as I think back to the times that I'd heard it. Um, and I think back to how Mr. O'Neill might describe it as, you know, unless either God prevents us from doing it or we're prevented by the laws of physics, then it is possible. Now, possible, of course, doesn't mean simple. Um, the, the, current question, the current condition without question is, is riddled with preconceived notions, obstacles, barriers, assumptions, all the things that essentially describe how we've always done it. But now we're at a point that we have a vision of what perfect could look like, which allowed the team to start to really engage, to get action oriented, which is the second half of this principle. So now that we have a way to start helping decipher and translate for the team, what did perfect look like? Now we could start digging into, okay, so how do we seek it? And that's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time is on the verb in the principle about seeking. Approaching improvement in a structured way um, is one of the behavioral benchmarks in the principle of seek perfection. And for me, I, I'll just share that when, as soon as I start to think about a structured improvement methodology, I, I can't help but think about the principle of embrace scientific thinking, which also resides in the continuous improvement dimension. Embracing scientific thinking gives us a pattern, for example, plan, do, check, and act on the screen. It gives us a pattern by which we can create structure within our problem solving. I'm not gonna go into a great deal about what is plan, do, check, and act, because I'm sure there will be other future um, events like this that will go into much more detail. 
Uh, but if we start at just a very high level cursory overview, we grasp the situation, we identify a problem that is present, and then we create a plan. We understand the current condition, we think about causation, and we develop a hypothesis about what we think might happen and what's the expected outcome. Once we do that, at that point in time, we can build our capabilities to run an experiment and then make a change, actually design the experiment and run it. We get into the check step where we check what actually happened compared to what we expected was gonna happen. And then we have an opportunity to make a decision. Do we wanna keep doing what we just tried? Do we wanna do something different? Um, and we can act or adjust our condition based upon what we've just learned. Now, the challenge I think is in many organizations, at least within my experience, is in order to truly embrace all of thinking scientifically and, and behaving scientifically to actually complete the entire loop, we really have to rewire some habits. So thinking about um, getting out of a firefighting mode or out of a plan do and plan do cycle to actually closing that loop requires a lot of concerted effort and building some new habits. The great thing is I'm gonna continue next because I wanted to review a couple of the behaviors in embrace scientific thinking, um, which I think relate to this work. So a couple of examples are that my organization supports everyone's active involvement in using problem solving systems in the daily work, daily. Uh, my team carefully collects and analyzes good data. We're trying to understand the current condition and we determine whether evidence supports a proposed improvement or innovation. And I love that proposed improvement, um, something that somebody is offering freely as, as a suggestion. My team actively engages those closest to the problem, the people in the work who know the work in all phases of problem solving and process innovation. So these overall behaviors I think about are, are pretty concrete things. I can go out and I can start to assess, are these things happening? Are they not happening? I can go out and look for evidence of it. But I think it's important for us to take a step back and think about what's the purpose for why these happen? And if I filter it all down, to me, what we're looking for is we're looking to create a learning organization. The purpose of all of these things is to learn because the faster we learn, the faster we can design solutions that solve the problem that we're trying to accomplish. I love this visual. This is a visual from Mike Rothern within his work. And he really helps us really kind of unpack how does that learning process happen? So learning and thinking scientifically is really about what we think will happen, the theory, and what actually happens, the evidence, and then adjusting based upon what we learn from the difference or even the similarity. It's the reflection and the analysis between what our hypothesis was and what we expected and what actually happened. Now within that, I think the challenge that we have to get comfortable with is we can't 100% of the time predict what's actually going to happen, which means there's going to be a percent of the time that we're gonna fail. I wanna bring forward, there is another additional ideal behavior within Embrace Scientific Thinking, which is my team treats failure as a valuable step in improvement. And I think depending upon your organization and your, and your history and your experience, that might feel comfortable, that might feel very uncomfortable. Um, I can tell you that while it may seem logical, coming from a healthcare background, failure and the thought of delivering a failed product or, or process or service to a patient was, was typically pretty unacceptable. Um, healthcare is complex, but it's, it's also wrought with many issues and problems and just challenges within the systems and the processes that team members work within. What happens though typically in healthcare is most team members, because they don't ever want anything to reach the patient, 
they, they, they do workarounds, they find ways to become heroic. And while that's great because it insulates the patient, it doesn't help us necessarily improve the processes or the systems. The interesting paradigm here is that team members, every single day after following standard, have the opportunity to think scientifically. They have the opportunity to learn their way towards perfection. So every day when they're in the middle of their work, if they're following a standard, they can see, did the standard yield the expected outcome? If it didn't, what do we learn from that? They likely have the most knowledge and experience about the potential causes and can suggest usually the best solutions and the best things to try. So when we think about this, if we're trying to get to the point that every team member every day is analyzing their work, is acting as a scientist, then I always think to myself, so, so why doesn't that naturally happen? Because we know about people is that people are naturally curious. People naturally want to make things better, um, but it doesn't typically happen. And I want to go through two specific things that from my experience, I, would, I just want to highlight because I think they'll give you two actionable things you can leave with today to consider in your organizations. One of the first ones is thinking about your systems within your organization. Shingo Institute in uh, one of the insights, they share with us that purpose and systems drive behaviors. So if we want ideal behaviors that encourage all team members to engage daily and studying their work, trying new things and reflecting and trying to learn, then we've got to be asking questions about our internal systems about you know, what systems do we have in place that help leaders go out and work with frontline team members to develop capabilities to see problems and solve problems. What patterns or habits um, are your systems driving that support structured problem solving in the pursuit of perfection? I will share with you that in most organizations that I've worked with in or with, systems exist, systems always exist. But the question is, does the system exist because of intentional design or does the system exist because it has just naturally grown that way and it's because it's what we've always done? Um, if, if you're really connected to the Shingo Institute, you may know this already, um, but one of the things that I love that they've done more research on and help us now understand is they've helped put together um, really a, a design uh, and a set of elements that can help us when we're thinking about the health of our systems. So when I think about this, the Institute calls out five specifically, and, and I like to add two into here. So I think about every time I'm trying to analyze a system or assess a system, what is the aim of that system and who owns it? And then five specific things. And if I'm thinking about this in the context of team members being able to go out and improve, then I'm looking for, do we have standard work that guides team members and how do they improve? And what they're to do when they find a problem and how they report it. Um, I'm looking for things like reports. What data and information tell us the health of our problem solving? What feedback, what opportunities do we have to get together and have conversation about the health of our problem solving? When is it scheduled? And by the way, do we have an improvement log? Do we have an ability to ongoingly improve this work and the work of the system? I wanna share with you that in my opinion, designing an improvement system or a management system or one of the subsystems, it's not a one and done activity. It is the ongoing work of leadership. And what I'd really encourage you to think about as a starting point is go back into your organizations, take a look at the elements on the screen and for the systems that are most vital to your organization, really truly take a look at, do you have the aim defined? Do you know who owns that system and can make changes? Do you have the other five elements well-defined? 
I want to give you that as one action to consider because typically when I see organizations that don't have the ability to sustain continuous improvement by team members every single day, it's because the systems haven't been designed to encourage and reinforce and support those behaviors. Now that's not every organization. Um, I've also had the opportunity to work within an organization and then work with organizations as well, where they've really done really good work around intentional design of the systems. To me, then, there's the second thing that I want to call it today that, that highlights why, if we want team members to be involved in the ways that we've described, but they're not, even though the systems are designed, um, I think there's, there's a specific reason behind it. And what I would share with you is it's really focused on the connection to safety. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think about, you know, courageous behaviors are definitely tied to safety. In, in order for team members to, to be truly engaged, to be wildly curious and take a chance with new thinking, they must feel safe. And the reason I think this is so important to call out is because if we think about safety as vital to the success of our program and seeking perfection, which requires everybody to be involved, then we can also think about what are some additional behaviors we can observe for. Things like our, our team members offering novel ideas freely. Do they, do they seek out information from their colleagues about their ideas? Um, even, even simple things, when you're working with a team member and you're trying to solve a problem, are they looking you in the eye when you talk about um, the problem that we're understanding or when you're asking for suggestions? So as a second takeaway today, I'd really encourage you to think about what are the behaviors you'd expect to see in a safe environment? I've got a couple here that we just went through, um, but many more exist. And I'd, I'd ask you to think about going out and assessing those in your organization, because if they don't exist, your improvement overall will be tempered. And I'll leave you with this. I, I, would, I would argue that without an intentionally designed system that drives learning behaviors, improvement will be sporadic and episodic. And without safety, improvement will be limited as a result. So in order to seek perfection, intentional systems and safety must both exist. And when they do, that's when I believe you'll be exceptionally well positioned for world-class success and that's when you truly unleash the potential of your team, which allows your team then to learn your way towards perfection. All right, so let's get into the, the Q&A section. Um, I will put up as we're going through the Q&A, um, just really quickly, a slide. We do have a number of workshops coming up. As Mary said in the beginning, um, Value Capture does cover all six of the workshops. Here's an example of a number of them coming up. Um, and I'll just share that with you as we're getting into now the Q&A section. All right. <clears throat> so looking in our q and I've got a question here. How are you challenging the wish to produce higher costs if they are rewarded? Assuming that high cost does not produce more value. How are you challenging the wish? Interesting. So I, I would answer this. Um, as I think about this, and what I always coach to is, is I don't think you can, I don't think you can trade off. I think if you're trading off and you are producing to your customer and you're delivering um, a better quality, first, I think when you deliver a better quality, you're actually going to reduce cost. Um, but secondarily, I, I don't think you can trade off one thing for the other. So I think if we are driving towards safety, but that increased costs, um, I don't think that's acceptable. Um, I don't think we can increase finances while we work on quality. Um, it may be short-term investment, but I think what you'd see over time is as you build quality, as you, as you 
really designed towards safety, um, costs will typically decrease and decrease pretty significantly. Uh, please restate the question. Mary, are you going to jump in there or do you want me to? Um, yeah, so it just said, how are you challenging the wish to produce higher costs if they are rewarded, assuming that high cost does not produce more value? That was the question. Yep. Thank you. And thank you, Atticus. Yeah, I didn't restate the question. Um, I will do that as we go forward. So all I was trying to offer was that, you know, it, there, there may be the challenge, the, the wish um, to produce higher costs if they're rewarded. Um, I'm, I'm translating that to mean that we may try to optimize part of the process, but that may lead to a, a, a higher cost. Um, but I may be interpreting that question incorrectly as well. I can tell you with the healthcare, um, the other way we sometimes view this is sometimes when we produce outcomes for patients and processes for patients, it leads to a higher cost. Um, so I'm not sure if that was the direction and, and maybe I can follow up offline afterwards. All right, how important is a broad reward system to sustaining continuous improvement? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question um, from Joseph and I appreciate that question. So to me, I think about if, if we're gonna think about a reward system, this is to me the, the combination of multiple systems working to support each other. So do I think it is absolutely necessary and vital to sustaining continuous improvement to have a broad reward system? I think it can be additive, but I don't think it is, is required. Um, I would share with you that in almost every organization that I've worked within, there was a pursuit of continuous improvement. And within that pursuit, I'm honestly trying to think, I don't think I've been in an organization personally where we've had actual rewards, uh, monetary rewards. There's been you know, recognition and, and overall kind of a, a kudos reward. Um, but not a, not a monetary. So I don't think it's necessary um, to sustaining continuous improvement. All right, let's keep going through. We have a lot of questions. This is great. Um, how do you, I love this one. So I'm gonna jump to this one. Uh, how do you involve and encourage leadership, physicians in system thinking? Uh, that is a great question. So um, I, I think there's a lot of ways. And I, I think, um, my, my best experience has always been when we have physicians um, engaged within, within any of the process improvement. So physicians being one of the team members, um, they're a pretty influential team member typically, but you know, how do you get them involved? I think that the easiest way that I would answer that is one, I think it's always important to give some kind of a background and context and system thinking. And then I'm a really big believer in really just take them into the work and go actually teach by doing. Um, so I would be thinking about, can we engage them in a problem that we're trying to solve? And through that problem that we're trying to solve, can we go out and then design the system with them at the table, helping design the solution and then test it. Um, you're gonna find at least from within me, um, really big hands-on learning and as well, um, getting out quickly to testing something, try something, fail, uh, confirm something, either way, we have an opportunity to learn something. And that's, that's how we'll move forward the quickest is by learning as quickly as we can. Um, I wanna jump down to, there's a question here and I'm probably out of order, Mary, um, but how do you create safety? Um, that's a great question. 
So I think about there is, I think about this in twofold. I think about how do you create safety in just very intentional ways. So within my work, uh, we build it right within the standard. When we go to an area that we're going to be doing work within, uh, we, we intentionally set a few minutes to set safety. We build it into the beginning of meetings. We make it a regular intentional called out activity. But then secondarily, um, as probably most of you on the call know, it really comes down to what are the leadership behaviors and actions related to safety. So it's for me, um, now it's typically in a coaching relationship. I'm observing leaders and what we're doing is we are typically going out, doing an activity and then reflecting on how well did we maintain safety? So if a leader goes to an area and they're going there to observe, but then they continue to offer suggestions, um, if, they, if they step in and, and don't let the team members do their work and they're not truly there to observe, then it's important to reflect afterwards. So I just think it's, it comes down to behaviors in the moment and it comes down to being intentional and specific about it in advance. All right. How do you deploy acceptance for enabling scientific thinking amongst the leadership? We'll often think that it is someone else's job. That is a great question. I love that question. Um, so I would offer to you, and as we think about employing the principles, so the principles, and I think about in any organization, the most important I guess, section of the organization to focus on principles is really, is, is leadership. Um, you have, have to start there. You have to start with leaders trying to live and, and behave in, in alignment with the principles every single day. So how do you deploy that? Um, I think within that question itself, um, I have a number of questions. Cause I think if you're deploying the acceptance among leadership, I think if it doesn't start with leadership, um, it can be challenging. Um, when I have found times where I have had leaders who have not had um, necessarily acceptance with scientific thinking or other principles, then my approach is typically to bring them through some sort of an experience, somehow offer the opportunity for them to go out and experience something in the work and then reflect upon what is the consequence of either um, thinking about and living the principle or ignoring the principle. All right, Mary, do I have time for one more or are we? Yep, go, go ahead, one more. <laughs> Perfect. Um, hi, thanks for the interesting presentation. What might one typically learn in pursuit of perfection? Any advice on particular learning frames? Um, that is, that is a, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think overall for, for me, I mean, what you might typically learn will vary by how you are, your role in the organization, um, how you define perfection. But I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway I would share with you is what you will learn is the faster you can go through learning cycles, the more rapidly you can move towards perfection. The longer you kind of sit in this mode of not taking action and having the opportunity to reflect, the harder it becomes to move closer and closer to perfection because you just, you get stalled out, you're not taking action. Thank you so much for presenting today. And thanks to our listeners for joining in and for all of your great questions. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you're looking for additional educational opportunities or you would like to learn more about the Shingo model, please visit our website at shingo.org. 
please remember to subscribe and to tune in to next time.